A clip from a KGB defector from the past comes to haunt us in the present on this bonus episode of Indie Thinker. So I live in an apartment complex where people do not like to pick up after their dogs. And I've often thought to myself, I think what has to happen is people have to step in that dog poop before they actually finally start picking up after their dogs. And so the point is, is that I think often we are only motivated when we finally see a threat. So I have a clip today that I want to show you, and I was floored when I first saw it. And I think it's important for all of us to see. Now, before I show you that clip, I want to make sure that you know that we are sponsored by Kevin Blair and the Kevin Blair team at Element Funding. Those guys are absolutely amazing. They are great customer service representatives who will serve you well in your pursuit to refinance your house or to purchase a new house. Word is that interest rates are about to go up, so if you want to take advantage of historically low interest rates, this is your opportunity to do that right now. So make sure to go and check them out at kevinblairteam.com where you can get your mortgage checkup today. Now, before we jump into that clip, perhaps you've seen this picture that I'm throwing up on the screen right now, and this was perhaps one of the most shared pictures recently online all over the place and certainly on the media. So the story is is that Haitians are flooding the southern border in Texas and coming into the United States and these uh, border agents are riding horses and that one of these guys whipped a Haitian with a whip. The only problem with this very shared picture is that it is absolutely a lie. I dare you to find one single picture online where you can actually see those guys actually whipping somebody. The reason you won't be able to find it is because they didn't do it. These Border Patrol agents did not hit a single person with a whip. In fact, the person that took this picture was interviewed about it and said, no, nothing like that ever happened. But it did not stop the media from proliferating this lie. And I have to be honest, as I think about this, I really do wonder if we can be moved by the truth anymore. If lies like this even register on our radar anymore, or do we callously move on to the next news cycle? But forgive me for thinking that lies actually have collateral damage, and we need to do something about it. We cannot sit idly by and watch the erosion of our institutions or even the proliferation of lies. Lies like this, if allowed to dominate culture, undeniably impact the way we think. And this is why I think podcasts like Indie Thinker matter. But I'm also left wondering, based on lies like this, if we can even discern the truth anymore. Have we been conditioned by external realities that keep us numb? We are so used to media lies and being surrounded by lies that even the truth has lost its power to move us like it should. What I'm about to show you, I believe, could be used as a litmus test for that hypothesis. And watching this, I think skepticism is warranted, but if you find that there's any truth in what you're about to hear that this man is going to share with you, then I think you should be incredibly alarmed and, more importantly, motivated to take a stand in whatever way you possibly can to fight for truth in this generation. Moreover, I hope, especially for my Christian audience, you will stick around after this clip for some comments that I have about it so that we can stop misusing scripture, quit being docile, and we can actually make a dent in the foothold that evil has in our nation right now. So here is a former KGB agent sharing with American audiences how Russian foreign intelligence is influencing society. As you watch this, ask yourself, could that be why X, Y, and Z is happening right now? And if so, what is your role in light of it? All right, here's the clip. 
He certainly is one of the world's outstanding experts on the subject of Soviet propaganda and disinformation and active measures. Well, you spoke several times before about ideological subversion. That is a phrase that uh, I'm afraid some Americans don't fully understand. When uh, the Soviets use the phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean by it? Ideological subversion is, is the slow process which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. It's a great brainwashing uh, process which goes very slow and it's divided in, in four basic stages. Uh, the first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? Because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students in the country of, of, of your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The demoralization process in the United States is basically completed already. Uh, for the last 25 years, actually it's overfulfilled because uh, demoralization now reaches such areas where previously not even Comrade Andropov and, and all his experts would, would even dream of such a tremendous success. Most of it is done by Americans to Americans, thanks to lack of moral standards. As I mentioned before, uh, exposure to true information does not matter anymore. A person who was demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. Uh, even if I shower him with information, with, with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it until he, he is going to receive a kick in, the, in his fat bottom. When a military boot crashes his balls, then he will understand, but not before that. That's the tragic of the situation of demoralization. The next stage is destabilization. This time, subverter does not care about your ideas and the patterns of your consumption. Whether you eat junk food and get fat and flabby, it doesn't matter anymore. This time, and it takes only from two to five years to destabilize a nation, uh, it's, what, what matters is essentials. Economy, foreign relations, defense systems. Uh, and you can see it quite clearly that in some areas, uh, in such sensitive areas as, as uh, defense, an economy. Uh, the uh, influence of Marxist-Leninist ideas in the United States is absolutely fantastic. I, I could never believe it 14 years ago when I landed uh, in this part of the world that the process will go that fast. Uh, the next stage, of course, is crisis. It, it, it may take only up to six weeks to, to bring a country to the verge of crisis. You can see it in, in Central America now. And after crisis, with a violent change of, of power, structure, and economy, 
you have so-called the period of normalization. It may last indefinitely. Normalization is a cynical expression borrowed from Soviet propaganda. When the Soviet tanks moved into Czechoslovakia in 68, Comrade Brezhnev said, now the situation in brotherly Czechoslovakia is normalized. This is what will happen in the United States if you allow all these schmucks to bring the country to crisis, to promise people all kinds of goodies and the paradise on earth, uh, to, to destabilize your uh, economy, to eliminate the principle of free market competition, and to put a big brother government in Washington, D.C., with the benevolent dictators like Walter Mondale, who will promise lots of things, never mind whether the promises are fulfillable or not. Your leftists in the United States, all these professors and all these beautiful civil rights defenders, they are instrumental in the process of the, of the uh, uh, subversion only to destabilize the nation. When their job is completed, they are, non, they are not needed anymore. They know too much. Some of them, when, when they get disillusioned, when they see that Marxist-Lenin has come to power, they, obviously they get offended. They think that they will come to power. That will never happen, of course. They will be lined up against the wall and shot. But they may turn into the most bitter enemies of Marxist-Leninists when they come to power. And that's what happened in Nicaragua. You remember most of these uh, former Marxist-Leninists were either put to prison or one of them split and now he's working against Sandinistas. It happened in, in uh, uh, Grenada when Maurice Bishop was, he was already a Marxist. He was executed by, by a new Marxist who was more Marxist than this Marxist. Same happened in Afghanistan when uh, first there was Taraki, he was killed by Amin, then Amin was killed by Babrak Karman with the help of KGB. Same happened in, in Bangladesh when Mujibur Rahman, very pro-Soviet leftist, was assassinated by his own Marxist-Leninist military comrades. It's the same pattern everywhere. The, the time bomb is ticking with every second. All right, in my mind, I can't help but ask the question, as I see this interview, how close are we to the end of America and Western civilization as we know it? Doesn't the faith-based individual have a role to stop this from happening, if so? If not us, who will do something about it? So Soren Kierkegaard told this story, and I'm just going to paraphrase it for you, but essentially there's a fire in a theater and a clown comes out to tell the audience about the fire. And he's warning them to, uh, to get out of the building. Um, and so the crowd just laughs and claps along, and then he warns them all the more, and they clap even more and laugh even harder. And then Soren Kierkegaard goes on to say, this is exactly how the end of the world will come upon us, a bunch of people clapping to their doom. Now, I'm paraphrasing there a little bit, but essentially the point is this, is that we often just clap like seals along to everything that's happening in society without taking notice of it or even without asking, what should I do about it? So now just to be clear, I'm not asking you to react to the culture. I think Christians can be a little bit reactionary at times, but I am asking you to respond to your conscience. For the Christian who wants to ignore that, I've developed a universal symbol for you. So here it is right now. Boom. This thing would make a great tattoo for somebody. So the reason I show you that is one of the disturbing things that I see on social media as of late 
is among Christians the misuse of scripture verses like Romans 13.1 and Colossians 2.8. For those of you who don't know what those are, Romans 13.1 says that we should be subject to governing authorities, and Colossians 2.8 says that uh, we should not be given over to vain philosophies. It's a little bit of a paraphrase, but essentially that's it. So both are used sometimes even by insecure pastors who don't want their congregation doing more than them to sideline fellow Christians in a fight that demands that good people rise to the occasion. Now, I thank God for my pastor. He is the exact opposite of that. He is a hero. Right now, he and his staff are handing out religious exemptions to those who are being um, forced to get the vaccine because of this mandate. And these people don't want to lose their jobs, so our church is trying to help them. So forgive me a little bit for poking fun at uh, people in my camp, but I think we need to be very, very aware of things that urge us towards complacency. I mean, Romans 13.1 is obviously not an encouragement to follow an evil, bloodthirsty dictator. And contrary to how it's used, Colossians 2.8 is speaking about false teaching in the church, not what Christians are supposed to do in the marketplace of ideas. In fact, it demands that we use the gospel like salt and pepper and we put it on everything. It demands that we fight against political ideologies, vain philosophies that are out there in the world that harm others. So it cannot be used as a proof text to avoid political discussions. Scripture compels us to engage and to, and to do it thoughtfully, but to do it. I was, I was thinking about this. I, I was reminded of a scene from Amazing Grace, a great movie about William War, Wilberforce and the abolition of slavery. And he's struggling with his political career and his pastor career. And while doing so, somebody at dinner tells him, uh, Mr. Wilberforce, I suggest humbly that you can do both. And my fear is that when we say don't be political, what we actually mean is just be quiet or even worse, you shouldn't defend anybody. Well, I have to give you an update. Truth is offensive to those who are trapped in a lifestyle of lies. If Wilberforce had remained silent because of fear of offense, where would the slave trade be today in England? I mean, I have this question. I have to ask, do we think Christians were killed in the first and second centuries because they were just so annoyingly loving and kind that people were just like, please kill that guy? Or because Christians refused to stop preaching a message of truth in the public square that rubbed those in power the wrong way? Now listen, that's not an excuse for being a cold-blooded jerk, but it's also not an excuse for complacency. The God who saves your souls is the God whose voice should be ringing through the halls of Congress and in every area of life. Don't let anybody, especially a fellow believer, keep you from engaging. We need more warriors, not less. If you stand by when we see evidence of issues that need our help, you're on the hook for your inactivity because Christianity is not only a noun, it's a verb. If your faith does not put everything you have at risk, then you don't have faith. You have moral posturing. Edmund Burke said it well when he said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. So only have one final question. Do you fear God or man? Here's how you know. You hate evil enough to fight it, not physically, but by telling and living the truth. Good people realize they can't sit back, they can't remain quiet, they have a moral duty to themselves, their family, to God, and to humanity to do something. And I hope this video helps in stirring your heart toward that something, toward something good, toward godly activism. While I may not have time to tell you what to speak up about, I can do this. I can encourage you to do something. Get informed on a topic. Learn more about it every day. Then share what you learn with others. 
Inactivity is not an option, especially for the Christian. So let me know what you think about that. Let me know what you think about this clip. I'd love to hear some some feedback on it, but please leave your respectful comments below, and don't forget to like, subscribe, and share this video. Thanks so much for watching. I hope it helped. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.